Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Rishi Khanna, CEO of StockTwits, the original social platform for individual investors and traders with 6 million registered members. Before StockTwits, Rishi was Managing Director at SSNC Global Op, where he had overall responsibility for sales, product, operations, and strategic direction of a number of businesses serving the alternative assets industry. In 2007, Rishi co-founded and served as President of Novus, a global portfolio intelligence platform company that invented the art of portfolio intelligence, solving unique data and analytics challenges facing capital allocators and fund managers. Prior to co-founding Novus, Rishi was responsible for the development of the technology and product platforms for Gerson Learman Group. Rishi holds a BS in computer science from Cornell University. In today's episode, Rishi and I cover the rise of social investing, StockTwit's global expansion, Rishi's views on NFTs as an asset class, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Rishi, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here with us. How are you doing and where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm doing great. And uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm calling in from New York City, sunny New York City from uh, our office uh, by Bryant Park. So, um, yeah, excited to be on and excited to have a conversation with you. There you go. Almost springtime. We're getting there. Slowly but surely. Um, yeah. So for listeners who might not know, could you just provide a background of your career to date and how you became involved in fintech? Sure. So um, yeah, I've been a, a, an entrepreneur for most of my career since college, and uh, I'm an engineer by background. And I first kind of formally got involved uh, really as a developer way back about 20 years ago, back before the term fintech, I think, really actually even existed. I was working on heat map software, and then I ended up at a company called Gerson Lehrman Group, which you may or may not be familiar with, uh, which also, you know, kind of in the fintech-ish space and working on software and tools and technology there. And that then led to, in 07, co-founding a company called Novus, uh, which is a portfolio intelligence platform for LPs and GPs. We were, you know, how do we help LPs better invest in hedge funds was our initial kind of uh, what we tackled initially. So that was really, you know, by way of my software background and uh, being part of the GLG experience over four years and building that company and then uh, launching Novus and that, you know, just kind of stayed there. A lot of interesting challenges in fintech. I've actually spent most of my career on the institutional side, like I said, um, working with hedge funds and LPs, you know, endowments, foundations, pensions, sovereigns, et cetera. Uh, and so that was my foray. Got it. And you've certainly spent a lot of your career as a serial entrepreneur, uh, like you said, moving from the institutional side now to the retail investing side. I'm curious what some of the key learnings were from prior startups that have helped you with StockTwits. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, the key learnings that I apply, I don't, I don't think are rocket science. I don't think, you know, most businesses rocket science, unless you're building rockets. One of the key learnings, especially of being a founder or really early stage mentor is, uh, or member, um, is around selling and storytelling. It's such a critical skill as an engineer by background. I never really, you know, kind of, thought of that so much, but, uh, you know, from my GLG experience and then really launching, you know, Novus, which was a B2B enterprise SaaS platform, ultimately selling and storytelling is key. And, and it happens in all aspects of it, right? Which is, it happens in your hiring. How do you pitch candidates to come join you? It happens in fundraising. How do you tell the story of the opportunity and the business and the problems you're tackling? So, you know, Really, that's a big part. And for us, bringing that to StockTwits, you know, telling the bigger, broader story of where we're going um, and where we've been. So I think that's one. I think the other key aspects of 
startups, entrepreneurships that I brought are understanding the fundamentals, you know, going back to basics, really understanding the business, you know, diving in, being willing to roll your sleeves up and get everywhere uh, is such an important thing. You know, if you understand the numbers, you understand how the business works. If you understand the product, you know, understand why your you know, users, why you're delivering or not delivering value to your users. And ultimately, those pieces come together and there are no silver bullets. There are no, hey, this is the one thing we got to do and the world's going to be kumbaya. And, you know, when I took over StockTwits, it was right before COVID. And so we went into COVID. And I think bringing all those together, the biggest, you know, kind of uh, thing I brought to the team was uh, we're just going to you know do the small things because small wins equal big things. And, you know, it's like the magic of compound interest. It works in startups, too, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Right? you got to roll your sleeves up. you got to do the work every day. Uh, it's not meant to be easy. Uh, but, you know, if you persevere and, and get those small wins, you know, the big stuff comes usually. Yeah, I probably owe you a, a delayed thank you for your work at GLG. Um, from a past life as a consultant, I was a lifesaver in becoming, a, you know, quote unquote, expert in a space in a short period of time. Um, <laughs> awesome. So thanks for that. Yeah, of course. Uh, how and when did you decide to move over to Stockwitz and uh, kind of switch from the institutional to the retail side? Yeah, so you know, my history with Stockwitz, I've actually been friends with one of the co-founders, Howard Linson, for a long time. I've been friends probably 10, 12 years at this point. Uh, so I've known about Stockwitz for a long time. And prior to Stockwitz, I had you know, an amazing you know, senior executive role at a large public company, again, in the alternatives fintech space. Uh, but what I missed was the innovation, right? Being an entrepreneur most of my career, being an engineer by background, I missed the innovation. I missed the ability to move quickly, and I missed the ability to move the needle. Uh, it's hard to move the needle on a $6 billion revenue business, uh, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, which is uh, kind of where I was coming out of. And, you know, being familiar with Stockwoods, knowing, you know, the team, uh, and what was really interesting to me was over the years, Stockwoods had organically grown this amazing and highly engaged community. Like the engagement numbers were off the charts and over 10 years, you know, turned into this community of millions of users. But to me, there was always a bigger opportunity there. How to deliver more value to the community around investing in trading and around the markets that they were. Stockwoods had done a great job of being the social layer and connecting and allowing the you know users to you know, chat with each other, share ideas, share research. You know, take their positions on the bull side or the bear side of, of, of different stocks. But, you know, the investing process or the trading process is much more than just that. And that to me was the opportunity of building on top of this amazing core, which is one of the hardest things to build, right? Uh, what I assert is community and social is probably one of the few things you can't just throw money at and ensure yourself that you're going to solve the problem. Software you can throw money at product you can throw money at, uh, a lot of things you can throw money and time at. You can throw a billion dollars at community and social, and you may still just not get it. And so, you know, Stockwoods had that. It was this amazing foundation. So the opportunity to deliver more value to the community, build more value for the business, and ultimately build a sustainable business, which is, you know, something that hadn't you know been done in Stockwoods history was, was an exciting opportunity. Yeah. And just a little bit of a tangent, but just curious at this point in, in your career, do you, would you consider yourself more of an engineer by trade or more of like a, a business person, like a strategy person by trade, given your uh, current oh, position? killing me on this one. Killing <laughs> me. Um, I think realistically, I would have to you know, consider myself more on the you know, kind of product strategy side of that sphere. Um, yeah. 
in my head, I could still go back and do the engineering side and whatnot. But that's probably not yeah. so true without a little uh, little time spent away kind of thing. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, but anyways, let's get back to StockTwits. Uh, can you give an overview of the different products that StockTwits offers right now? And then we can dive more into the social aspect of things. Yeah, sure. So before diving into the products themselves or the, or the you know, kind of value propositions themselves, our mission is to host a global conversation for retail investors and traders across all asset classes. Now, to that end, you know, the key and core product offering today is you know, one of the largest communities and most liquid conversations around stocks and crypto. Uh, and I use the term liquid very specifically because I think hey, it's a great term. You know, you go to social platforms, you go to community, you're, you're looking for you know engagement and the action. And so you come to StockTwits and you you know come on the Apple stream, the Tesla stream, the Bitcoin stream, the Ethereum stream, the Solana stream, Tesla, so on and so forth. You're going to get really liquid conversations and really liquid engagement. And you know you got you can find your tribe. And so that's that's our core offering is the communities and you know this social platform like a verticalized. Twitter uh, is, you know, obviously kind of the uh, core model there. We also have now recently added crypto trading right in the app. So we launched crypto trading about a month ago. It's still behind a wait list um, as we you know, kind of scale it out. But to, so now you can connect the dots and you can be the community and you can trade right where you're talking about, you know, the ideas. And we'll be coming out with equities trading very soon as well on top of that. So, you know, you won't need to leave the platform for the execution side of it. And so that's our core um, offerings today. Um, and you know, we have a lot more on the roadmap, both from the execution side, from the community side, and also from a tools and data perspective of, you know, uh, again, going back to that mission of delivering value across the investing lifecycle, uh, a lot more to come there. But that's, that's kind of where we're at today. And I would love to hear a bit more on the, the social trading aspect of it beyond creating like a community for, for people to engage with when they're thinking about buying and selling stocks. Is there kind of an additional benefit for users to kind of have that social aspect when they're engaging with stocks? Yeah, so I, I you know, I, I think of this in kind of two contexts. I fundamentally believe investing is like a craft or a trade. And in order to get better at your craft, you need to learn from others. You know, it's kind of like an apprenticeship model almost, right? You need to find your mentors, find your peers, find your community, and social and a social platform like StockTwits facilitates that, right? You can find people that might have similar you know, trading styles or investing styles, similar interests in asset classes, and you can learn from them. Whether it's about learning on the idea side and discovering new ideas to invest in, or whether it's about learning on the execution side and how to go about realizing your thesis, um, especially in the world of trading where there's you know, a lot more tools. Like a buy and hold world is a little bit more simplistic from the execution world, but on the trading side, you know, whether it's option strategies or just you know uh, technical strategies of entry exit points and things like that, I, I do believe you know to get really good investing in, and frankly all sorts of investing, whether it's venture or private equity, whatnot. That is very much that craftsman model. And so apprenticeship, mentorship, you know, peer communities matter uh, to help you get better at that. And you got to, you know, again, depending on your style, you got to be consistent with it. And the community helps keep you consistent, right? Your, your peers help keep you consistent on that. So I think that's, that's one really important on the building the muscle and the learning aspect of it. 
The other side of social and stock tweets in particular is that it also enables you know our users and community, and even if you're new to stock tweets and coming on, it enables you to quickly get a pulse of the markets, right? To understand what the retail and individual investing and trading community is currently interested in, is currently engaged in. You can quickly see. I mean, you know, I, I wake up, I open the stock tweets app, and you can see what's trending right there, and, and it is very much representative of the community because you can see on the weekends weekends are made for crypto it is you know all crypto all the time because hey crypto doesn't sleep right it's markets are 24 7 so you can see the trending right rises and a lot more crypto is being talked about uh on the weekend so being able to understand the pulse of the markets because markets inherently are human driven you know still today at least and even the quant side of things are programmed by humans right and and you know behavior and psychology matter and so understanding the pulse and understanding the pulse of retail which you know has obviously had a larger impact over the last two years during covid um, we'll see this has obviously been a rough start to 2022 for the markets but it's probably a long overdue reset correction you know whatever you want to call it but um, yeah but i think those are the two ways that i think are really important to think how you think about social and the value it can deliver and the benefits it can deliver to you. I think it's so important to have a few people that you can trust, especially early in when you first start investing, um, yeah. that you can rely on to kind of get up that learning curve a little bit. I mean, for me, for example, it was my dad, but uh, for, yeah. for a lot of different people, it's a lot of different resources. And it's so nice to be able to have that uh, you know, through a platform if you don't have that, like in, a, in, a, yeah. in some other way. And, and, you know, I had this similar experience. It was through my dad that I got exposed to stocks um, back when I was growing up. You know, my dad had his stock portfolio and, you know, this was in the 80s. And, you know, every day I would take the prices out of the newspaper. Right. I was my dad's mint.com. I would take about, I would write them down in the, you know, my little notebook and chart it out on the graph paper and, you know, maintain the chart and the performance and kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, back then it was a lot easier. It was like the AT&Ts and the Xeroxes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, he had an investing club too. And then that investing club, you know, investing has been social for, for a long, long time. You know, and so uh, that was also kind of my first exposure there and, and why I do believe, you know, community and, you know, finding people you can trust and then talk to about your investing uh, is really important. Let's move now from taking clips out of a newspaper to uh, like the <laughs> Wall Street bets Reddit craze of, uh, you know, about a year, year and a half ago. Just curious with the, the benefit of hindsight, what did that meme stock, how did that meme stock craze kind of impact Stockwitz in the long run, if it did at all? So we were absolutely kind of beneficiaries of the increased interest in, you know, the investing and trading space. So, you know, from a, just a pure numerical benefit perspective, right, we, we grew our audience, you know, our membership grew 50%. Uh, you know, last year we went from 4 million to 6 million, you know, kind of users or 6 million plus. Um, but our engagement and our, you know, daily actives and monthly actives and all that, that also exploded, you know, two to four X uh, kind of thing. So just from that pure just number standpoint, we absolutely, you know, benefited of being there and, and being, you know, one of the go-to platforms for social and community around this. But I think, you know, that's, as we're seeing now, and as I think we'll see with a lot of Q1 comps of public companies, that only goes so far, right? You can maximize, a lot of people maximized profits and stuff in 2021. You look at the Coinbase numbers, especially the crypto exchanges and even the trading platforms. But I think the longer term impact and the more interesting impact and benefit, you know, in looking at it in hindsight is the introduction of you, you know, millions and millions of 
young next generation investors, millennials and Gen Z that compared to Gen X and boomers were underinvested for you know their point in, in kind of life and whatnot. Um, and so the introduction and bringing them into the markets is over the long term, I think the more lasting and more impactful aspect of you know the meme craze and whatnot. Because the first key to investing is really got to get skin in the game. Otherwise, it's kind of really hard, right? It's, it's really easy to do things with paper money or just say, oh, I would have bought that. I would have bought that. But once you do or once you get in the game, that's when you can really start learning. And the meme craze for all the negatives around the YOLO attitudes and things like that, which aren't necessarily healthy long-term things, the short-term you know, uh, aspect of that, I think, will have a long-term benefit of bringing people in the markets and exposing them to this, you know, which is one of the last wealth engines in the U.S., like really, uh, if you really look at it, I mean, the way our system's built and designed. And let's continue talking about growth a little bit. I know you guys have been focusing on expanding internationally. Can you talk a little bit about where you've expanded so far and how do you choose kind of the next geography that you want to get into? Yeah, so, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the earlier question of why StockTwits, I think one of the surprising things to me was how U.S.-centric StockTwits was when I joined, uh, given that it had been around for 10 plus years, right? So it wasn't global. And I'm like, guys, what's going on here? I mean, you know, investing is a, is a global thing, especially interest in U.S. markets, the rise of crypto, very much global. And so for us, that was one of the most important things, you know, as a long-term strategy that we knew we wanted to do. And the way we looked about it was, it was actually relatively simple in that we looked at the next biggest markets out there, you know, generally by dollar value and by volume and things like that. And But that were also English speaking. And that was an important factor because localization and language are hard, especially when you need to you know layer in content and community moderation. Right. So we wanted to you know make sure we didn't try to bite off more than we could chew by going international. And, you know, for us that, you know, the next biggest markets then with that filter were going to be. UK from a dollar value, India, Australia, you know, those were those were actually the three that surfaced right to the top because technically we're in Canada. Uh, we do have some Canadian coverage and stuff. And then, you know, looking at kind of the macro trends and our thesis around the next generation of investor and empowering them and giving them, you know, the community and the voice. India, obviously the sheer size of it, no one, no one questions that, 400 million millennials. But to us, what was actually interesting about India was, where we see that market going from an investing perspective. Highly underinvested, right? Two to four percent, depending on which number you look at, are invested in the markets. But that next generation and their exposure to tech and what we see as, you know, we saw a few catalysts coming down the road there in India, specifically all the tech IPOs, regardless of how they've performed, we think are a catalyst to interest that next generation in these companies that they know and that they use. And now they're like, oh, I can own a piece of it. The globalization of, you know, kind of U.S. stocks, and we actually just recently saw that with India now, um, you know, giving access to, I think, 50 U.S. stocks, you'll be able to get access uh, similar to the ADR, you know, strategy here in the U.S. Uh, So that exposure and then crypto itself as a global phenomena. And while there were a lot of regulatory question marks, still are a ton of regulatory question marks uh, across the world and and, and India included around crypto. That made India for us a no brainer. And then 
you know, coincidentally, at the same time that we were starting to move forward, uh, we began speaking with uh, the Times Group, which, you know, was part of our last investment round and, and having a partner like Times Group there to help our go-to-market strategy and help us understand, you know, how we go to market there and then have their resources and their size and scale behind us uh, is a really exciting opportunity and something we're pretty excited to get off, you know, the ground this year and, and uh, at more scale. And I know it's not so straightforward to offer like access to U.S. stocks to international markets, but I don't know yep. exactly why that's the case. Can you talk about that a little bit and like kind of the regulatory hurdles you have to jump? And not even not even thinking about crypto right now, just just uh, standard stocks. Yeah, so you know, there's there's the way that a lot you know, there are a number of platforms now that give you know access to you know, people in different countries access to U.S. stocks. A lot of it has to go. A lot of it has to do with KYC and AML uh, because obviously U.S. broker dealers, we are highly regulated, um, you know, FINRA and the SEC. And a big part of that is the KYC, know your customer, who has access, um, and then AML, anti-money laundering, where are the funds coming from, where are they going to? Very relevant in uh, our current time period around, you know, what's, uh, you know, happening with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and all the sanctions that are going in place. Uh, and so that is a big element such that if you're opening an account outside of the U.S., well, the easiest way is if you have a U.S. bank account, because then, you know, all the standard KYC and AML stuff can apply. But KYC is definitely a little bit different in that process uh, to understand, OK, hey, here's a, you know, an Indian citizen, a U.K. citizen, an Australian citizen, a Brazilian citizen, whatever it may be. There's that element of it. And then each a country and jurisdiction has their own rules and regulations that you know may apply, and so you got to be conscious of those as well. But you know, the first hurdle there is just the U.S. side of it, and who your partners are, uh, you know, behind the scenes, who your clearing and custody partners are, and how they approach you know international you know users and accounts. It's just you know the biggest impact is around the KYC email. Once you get around that, then it's you know, then it's vanilla, then it's. Um, straightforward but it's it's really that that first step and then monitoring transactions and making sure you're you know not supporting money laundering and you know uh, bad actors kind of thing is is the key areas yeah and to support all this growth uh, that you're seeing i'm also aware that stockwitz is currently hiring so just curious for interested listeners which positions you're hiring for and, and what types of people you're hoping to attract yeah, I think uh, I'm not going to surprise you here with uh, most of my answers. Uh, we are absolutely hiring. So, you know, if you're really interested in coming and joining and building a global platform for investors and traders, uh, come on down. But, um, you know, engineering and product, uh, definitely a lot in that aspect. And, and across the board, I mean, you know, our work on the trading side, crypto side, NFTs and, you know, other asset classes as well. So, uh, you know, data and you know, data engineering, a lot of interesting stuff there. And then the other big area is content and marketing. So on the content side, you know, we have our newsletter. I don't know if you're familiar with it or a subscriber. Our daily newsletter called The Daily Rip, you know, 1.2 million subscribers. Excellent market wrap up on, uh, you know, after after the close and, you know, around 6 or 7 p.m. it goes out. Amazing team there, but we want to build that out and, you know, kind of uh, also around education and further information for our community and marketing. Uh, we've never really done marketing. Um, we don't really spend anything on marketing still today. We're, we're a little bit of an outlier that way from the the rest of the fintech uh, consumer app space, uh, but we will, and uh, we intend to. But uh, you know, we want to build that team and that muscle up too. So that's another uh, fun area that we're hiring. 
Well, if you see a sudden influx now on uh, applications, uh, we should probably get some some referral codes or something for Wharton FinTech. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but z- zooming out a little bit and looking at the industry overall, uh, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on what excites you about FinTech um, overall over the next, uh, say, three to five years. Yeah, so I think um, you know, FinTech is such a broad term, right? And uh, you... you I absolutely know this given the broad range of people you get to talk to in an interview and whatnot. But, um, you know, in our space, in the world of investing in markets, I think there's two really interesting things to me. One, which is kind of more near-term and immediate, is the democratization of asset classes. Uh, this is via fractionalization, even via, you know, what's happening with NFTs and, like, blockchain technology and whatnot. But, again, the story, you know, as I was sharing with you about you know, growing up and, like, you know, tracking my dad's stocks, and it was pretty much stocks and, you know, mutual funds, right? You were really out there if you were doing anything in, like, option land or, you know, even bonds or anything like that. So, you know, it was a pretty simple mix of assets and securities that you had exposure to today, the types of assets that we have exposure to as retail individual investors has exploded, right? So you have stocks, sure. You have options, sure. Now you have crypto. You have NFTs. You have crypto derivatives coming down the pipe. And then you have, you know, kind of the world of alternatives, which is everything from commercial and residential real estate fractionalized on platforms to artwork fractionalized, like the, you know, uh, platforms like Masterworks and whatnot to, you know, VC to collectibles and sports, like, you know, our friends over at Rally. Uh, so the number of things and, and the opening of these asset classes and even, you know, kind of the synthetic hedge funds that are being built and private equity funds that are being built for retail access, that to me is, I think, going to be really interesting, you know, over the next few years of how, you know, apps like Stockwitch, you know, how we approach that, how the other brokerage apps and, and things approach that, because I think there is a real demand and interest for this next generation of investor across those asset classes. So that's that's one area. And the other area I'll comment on more longer term that I'm just, you know, really you know, kind of watching and, and really just, you know, as an engineer also curious about is kind of the rise of DeFi, uh, the rise of, you know, blockchains as a tool in the world of fintech. Mostly because everything we've been talking about in the world of investing is still built on rails that were built many, many decades ago, right? We're not really, uh, very few people have been tackling the plumbing, you know, what's underneath. And so to me, the world of blockchain and the world of DeFi and what's happening there, is someone going to really tackle the plumbing? Are we going to get new plumbing and new infrastructure to build, you know, things that can't be built or you know, are, are very difficult to build today. You know, the most simplistic example from last year that came out was, you know, um, instant clearing, you know, versus, you know, T plus three or T plus two or T plus one and you know, just the infrastructure for that. But I think that's just a very, you know, surface level example. So to me, I think that's, that's the interesting area. Any additional thoughts on like NFTs as an asset class? Do you think it'll so continue to be as so many? Yeah, oh, yeah go ahead, please riff. Um, yeah. I've, I've I've been fortunate to you know spend a decent amount of NFT space, just you know having friends that are really into it and learning from them. I'm by no means an expert, but I've you know I probably have uh, you know a decent size NFT portfolio personally at this point. That being said, so uh, the way I look at NFTs, it's a space of ton of potential, a lot of really interesting potential. But, you know, in kind of the near term, and we've seen a correction over the last couple of weeks or months, as we have in, you know, most asset classes, you know, in the short term, it's also a space with a 
of questionable projects and, uh, and uh, a lot of questionable value over the long term. You know? And I, I am one of those people that will say, hey, 99% of this stuff is going to go to zero. The stuff you know, that these PFPs and you know, projects going on right now. But the benefits of NFT and what it's done is it's unlocked a lot of opportunity for new people in different you know, types of communities that are coming in from the art world and you know, from the world of culture and whatnot. Um, and it's more accessible in that way. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, the money that's being poured in the world of NFT is analogous to the money that was poured into, you know, fiber back in, you know, the 90s when we overinvested in optical, you know, fiber cabling and laying, you know, down that foundation. So, you know, we're investing in the foundation today and we'll see what comes out and the innovation that can come out tomorrow and down the line when we get past this, you know, maybe hype cycle or frothy cycle of this first step, you know, the impact to things like gaming and sports and music and you know, membership and community-driven aspects is going to be really exciting. I think there's a lot of opportunity potential, and it's up to the community you know, to really find those and not screw it up. Rishi, the last thing I wanted to do today was just ask you a few rapid-fire questions uh, yeah. help the audience get to know you a little better. Uh, so we're hoping for answers here in about five seconds or less. Or, Ooh, okay. Let's say All 10 right, seconds or less. Ready to go? Yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, what is your proudest accomplishment to date? Uh, today, I 100% have to say raising two daughters in New York City that are kind, caring, smart, and, and I think reasonably well-adjusted. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> uh, speaking of New York, uh, what is your favorite neighborhood in the city? Tribeca. We've been there 15 years and we love it. There you go. Amazing. Uh, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, it's a tough one. I'm not, I don't think I'm that interesting. But um, <laughs> uh, I guess a fun fact going to my entrepreneurship career is Actually, out of college, before uh, I did end up starting my first startup, uh, you know, right out of college and whatnot. But before I fully jumped into that, I had accepted a tech startup job, actually, in Boston. Uh, but when I came to New York, fell in love with New York City, we were having, you know, good conversations with people to fund our startup. And uh, I called that company up a day or, before, or a day or two before I was supposed to start and, you know, never started the job that I was supposed to start. And, uh, and coincidentally, uh, the CEO of that company is now a neighbor that lives down the street in Tribeca. Oh, <laughs> that's, that, that's a good ending. <laughs> yeah, I like that. full circle. Yeah. yeah. What is your favorite meme stock or NFT that you've invested in? Um, I think right now, kind of in the NFT DAO world, uh, LinkStout. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it, but, uh, yeah. you know, it's this bridge between real world and, uh, and digital world. And I'm, I'm excited to see if it can fulfill its mission. Yeah, I was really hoping you'd drop a uh, board ape in there somewhere, but I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm not that OG, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. uh, it's, it's a little beyond me now. <laughs> yeah. And so last question for you today, and we can take a little bit longer on this one if you'd like. Uh, what does success look like for you and for StockTwits? So success for StockTwits, I really do believe, uh, looks like achieving our mission, which is to connect the global investing community and to deliver them value across the entire investing life cycle. So today, you know, social content community is an amazing tool, an amazing platform we've built thus far to allow uh, our users to learn and share ideas and communicate with each other. But the life cycle still includes tools and data, and we want to be able to provide that to our community as well, and then ultimately cross all the way over to the execution side, right? Um, How can we be that platform from ideation through execution, through portfolio management, and back again? It is a ever-going cycle, 
And a lot of those pieces are commodities. A lot of the, you know, uh, data and stuff, we all get from the same place. And, you know, we want to kind of really provide all that value to our community across the globe, across asset classes, uh, and, and give them the best you know, kind of platform for their investing uh, you know, uh, objectives and their investing identity. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up for today, Rishi. Um, but thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. Uh, it's great yeah. to hear your perspective on uh, you know, the investing space and your time in Stockwitz. And best of luck with everything moving forward. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having uh, me on the pod and uh, you know, looking forward to also seeing your next chapter when you come back to New York. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.